0: and the conventional healthcare model that are both systematically failing so many of us. Creating a new model is my life's work, and this is what the show's all about. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. If you like what you hear today, I'd love for you to subscribe, leave a review in iTunes, share with a friend, and keep coming back for more. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive deep. And before we start off the show, we got a shout out show sponsor, BioCult. BioCult is a phenomenal probiotic company. The boosted product is the one that I most recommend. It is broad spectrum, great price point. And um, at the end of last year, I had kind of like a weird amount of people reach out to me to tell me how much they are loving BioCult. People literally wrote like multiple times, this probiotic has changed my life. So people are out there, the people have spoken and they are out there getting the good results. And that is something that I, as a clinician, is super important to me. I've had, you know, a lot of people ask me like, what do you think about this product? What do you think about this product? And sometimes I look at products and I'm like, I think they have a really great marketing budget, which isn't a bad thing necessarily. But for me as a healthcare practitioner, I'm always like, cool, you're using a lot of like big fancy buzzwords, but like, does your product actually help people? That's the most important thing to me. So it delights me to hear that so many of you are benefiting from the BioCult Boosted Probiotic. If you haven't tried it before, head to the link in our show notes, use code FUNC15 to save 15% off of your probiotic purchase. I'm always looking for kind of quick and dirty ways to pack in extra nutrition, polyphenols, antioxidants, fibers for my gut, and even herbs for my stress response. Like the more adaptogens, the better, which is why I use Organifi powders every day, several times a day. I love to put them into my water. This is great if you're one of those people that struggles to just get enough hydration, get enough water, and if you feel like water's really boring, these powders can zhuzh it up for you. My kiddo loves them. She feels like she's drinking juice. I also throw them into my smoothies just as a way to get some extra nutrition. My personal favorite is the red juice. So it has lots of different red powders Things like acai, cranberry, pomegranate, strawberry, raspberry, blueberry, all of those polyphenol-rich red and blue powders. And if you've listened to the show or you've seen me on Instagram, you've heard me talk about the benefits of these powders. They feed a very unique and particular type of bacteria in your gut called Ackermansia. Ackermansia is a keystone player. It's wicked important for keeping your gut healthy and strong. It prevents leaky gut. It also is very important for metabolic health and insulin signaling and controlling blood sugar. Now, unfortunately, I do a lot of stool tests on people and see that acromantia is low, sometimes even below detectable limits. That's a real bummer. Some of the bacteria in our guts are little piggies, they'll eat anything, and then some bacteria are more like snobby foodies that will only eat specific things. This acromantia bacteria loves to eat red polyphenols. So, the more red foods you can eat, the better. And getting red powders is super important as well. So the red juice is something that you can grab super easy and it's low sugar. All of Organifi's powders are under three grams of sugar per serving and most of them offer up fiber as well to counteract any spike in blood sugar. So highly recommend, I throw them in my smoothie so I can pack in a bunch of veggies Without adding a ton of fruit that might spike my blood sugar, and I can still make them sweet and palatable. Go to Organifi's website, Organifi.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Be sure to use the code FUNK. It will save you 20% off of every single order you ever place. You get a good deal, and you get to support all the good things in your body too. Hello, my friends. We are back with the next episode. La -da da da da. Thank you so much for everybody who reached out with really positive feedback on last week's episode. I um I'm really grateful that it landed in such a way. I, you know, what <laughs> I thought it might, but there's always the chance that I am way off base and I it that one definitely took me a a very long time to piece together and to organize my thoughts around exactly what I wanted to say. And so, I'm just I'm just happy that It provided a space to have a deeper conversation about some of this stuff, especially for those of you who feel like you're kind of like free falling through the gray area. Um, So the the episode that I'm talking about, in case you haven't heard it, is the shoulds and shames behind weight loss goals. And today's a little bit of a continuation um, of that same conversation. We're talking specifically, though, about perimenopause and menopause because we can see some body changes. And a big thing that I hear uh, from women who are navigating this time is kind of like WTF. Like I, This was never an issue for me before and now it is. My body is changing. I don't really understand it. So that's going to be the name of the game of today's show is what's the deal with weight gain in menopause or perimenopause. Um, and like, what does it mean? What can I do about it? So before we get into that, I do want to announce that the carb compatibility project is right around the old corner. We start in less than two weeks. So stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you used to. No, I'm just kidding. Stop what you're doing and go sign up for the CCP. Head to thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash CCP or grab the link in the show notes. If this conversation resonates with you today, I highly, highly, highly recommend the Carb Compatibility Project. It's a four-week functional nutrition program specifically designed for metabolic health, for blood sugar regulation, for energy and mood. It's also very supportive of gut health, which as you'll learn today, really feeds into metabolic health and all of those things so check it out especially if today's episode resonates with you we also have coming up the body intentions breakthrough so this is a 3 hour workshop on June 3rd it's going to be from 12 to 3 p.m. eastern time and always recorded so you can if you can't make it live you can watch the replay this is a workshop to rewire for weight loss health goals and body success and i use the word body success because success means very different things to different people. And so I'm not here to tell you what you need to feel successful in your own body. Um, and I'm certainly not suggesting that weight loss is a, uh, proxy for measuring success. I don't, am I using the word proxy, right? I don't, I don't, I'm not entirely sure. It, it, I'm not suggesting that weight loss is an indicator for success. But what I am suggesting is that you have to figure out what would it feel like to be successful in your own body. So for some people, it's like, I want to be out of pain. For some people, it's like, I, wanna, I don't want fatigue. For some people, it's like, I don't want to live in fear of what my body is doing. I don't want to live in fear of symptoms. And for some people, it's like, I want to feel comfortable in my own skin. And so whatever that looks like to you, I want to be clear that all of that is welcome. You can bring it all into the workshop. So that's available for purchase on my website. We'll link it in the show notes. And just understand that if you sign up for the Carb Compatibility Project, you get access to this workshop for free. So bonus for you. This is not, I want to be super clear, this is not a nutrition workshop. We're not talking about nutrition. We're not doing the functional medicine thing. This is really more about subconscious reprogramming. And so the two can play nice together. The Carb Compatibility Project is a food-based program. And then we're really working, really specifically focusing on the mindset and limiting beliefs and subconscious reprogramming with this workshop. So... With all that said, let us get into the topic of today, which is menopause. And I'm going to use menopause as a catch-all term for perimenopause and menopause, even though they're, you know different different times. But just to make it easier on myself, you'll hear me say menopause a lot. so menopause um the way that I preframe. Any discussion about this period of time is like I think about it like this: Our society really puts women in kind of like there's three main archetypes. We've got the maiden, we've got the mother, we've got the crone. And our society, the maiden is revered, right? That's when we're like young, you know, useful, youthful. All that. The mother is honored, sort of, maybe. Like, I think the mother is honored as long as, like, we're sacrificing all of our own needs and forfeiting our sense of self to motherhood, then the mother is honored. Oh, you're so strong. Uh, And then we've got the crone, which is essentially like pushed aside and reviled. And so there can be, through perimenopause and menopause, there can almost be this like grieving process. And now, please keep in mind that I am saying this as somebody who has not yet lived this. And so I'm not going to plunge all the way down into this, this particular aspect of the conversation, but I've worked with women who have gone through this. And so there can be a bit of a grieving process of like, who am I and like, what is my role? And, you know, I think about the way that I went once I did cross that threshold from maiden into mother postpartum, I was very much so like, who am I? What is my role here? What is my existence here? Like I I had to kind of reorganize myself and re-identify myself. As just an aside, I, I recently read this and, um, about, about motherhood, um, from, uh, Catherine Reitman, I don't know if I'm saying her name right. She's the creator of Working Moms. Hilarious, love her dearly. Uh, but she was talking about uh, getting advice about parenting and mothering, and she said one thing that's ever that the only one thing that's had held true for me: the best mother you can be must include the dimensions you developed before having kids. Are there any parts of yourself that have gone quiet since becoming a parent? Oh, I love that one. I saved that one. Um, so anyway there is this whole, like when you cross, you're starting to cross into the, the threshold of this crone archetype. In so many cultures, this is, this is revered. This is honored, right? This is where wisdom is. This is the elders. And we just, our society just doesn't see it that way, right? So there's this, there's this whole emotional uh, situation that can come up. And then on top of that, if we are experiencing physical body changes that we haven't experienced before, well, oh dear, you know, know we've got a lot of confusion thrown into the mix. And so that's really what I'm focusing on in today's show is that piece. Some women who have never really struggled with weight now all of a sudden are struggling with weight, or some who are like super active, super fit, but all of a sudden are putting weight on in different areas. Um, and this is these are like this is literally coming verbatim from clients that I've worked with in the past. Um, and a lot of clients who come through your hormone revival are going through this phase as well. And so they're experiencing more belly fat. They're seeing they're they're putting fat on their midsection. Um, they're getting more of the the love handle type. Uh, fat like hip things and so they're just saying okay my body is changing i haven't done anything differently i don't really understand what's going on and then they they have this like subsequent freak out and so we're making space for the freak out what we're not going to do is gaslight somebody and tell them well you shouldn't feel that way that's that's so silly you shouldn't feel that way we're not doing that here so let's talk about the freak out and like let's talk about some real physiological things that could going on because the here's the deal is that just telling what a lot of these women are hearing is like it's the same old shit new day just work out more and eat less. And so that advice d- is not going to work because their physiology has changed. So what has worked in the past is not necessarily going to work now. If your physiology changes, then we might need to change the approach, okay? You're picking up on a theme that I've been putting down over the past few weeks. So again, this is all tying into last week's episode. If the approach isn't working, try a new approach. So today I'm gonna hit you with the goodness of what a new approach could look like for you if you are in this time frame. And by the way, If you have a friend or a family member or a loved one or a coworker, whomever who is going through perimenopause, is going through menopause and is struggling, send them this episode because maybe it could help. So what I'm going to read, I pulled this from a slide that I've created for something else. And I don't know if I wrote these exact words myself or if I grabbed it from somebody else. So, if this is somebody else's words, I do apologize and please let me know um, if I'm taking somebody else's words. But this kind of sounds like just snarky enough that it's probably me. So, I wrote putting a postmenopausal woman on a strict diet without addressing physiology changes is not only insensitive, it showcases lack of understanding of the aging body. And so, if you yourself, are perimenopausal, menopausal, postmenopausal, and you're going to somebody for help and they're just putting you on another diet where you're like counting calories and restricting your food intake, and like doing more cardio, like you gotta throw them the peace sign because that's just really telling that they don't know what to do with you. And so you gotta find somebody who does. So brief overview of what the hell is happening in menopause, in the menopause you know, time frame. And this is what Dr. Carrie Jones refers to it as reverse puberty, and I love it. You know, I can't reinvent the wheel with that one. That one's just too good to not share. Because hormones are going up and down. There's dramatic changes in your estrogens, in progesterone, in testosterone. It's those huge fluctuations of hormones that can cause the hot flashes, the night sweats, the sleep problems. And during perimenopause, your estrogens can go up so high that they can go up even higher. They can surge even higher than ovulatory ranges, and then they can plummet down to menopausal ranges. So perimenopause is like really a wacky, wonky time, and this is why people can feel so trashy because your hormones are like boom, 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 like all over the place. Um, and so you can, the, the roller coaster comes into play because you, as a perimenopausal woman, might experience estrogen excess, so high levels of estrogen, and estrogen deficiency, low levels of estrogen, symptoms of both of those in the same month. So what fun, right? What fun. And so what is all of the, what are the hormonal changes through perimenopause and into postmenopause have to do with weight? It turns out kind of a lot. Um, so after, in menopause, your ovaries essentially go offline. I th- I think that's what, um, I think that that term I did get from Carrie Jones, actually. They go offline and stop producing heaps of estrogen. And so what, what happens is that the adrenal glands actually take over some of the production of estrogen. So we're not making much estrogen anymore, but we're still making a little bit. And so the adrenal glands are kind of taking over the production of that estrogen. So if your adrenals are shot, they're going to have a harder time doing that. You know, if you are dealing with, um, Adrenal fatigue, and uh, you know, you know how I feel about that term, but I, I use it because people understand what, what I'm talking about. cortisol dysregulation. If you're dealing with like, l- years and years of stress, if your adrenals are just like, uh, not great," then you're going to have a hard time keeping estrogen online. And so what happens in that scenario is that we've got adipose tissue to the rescue. This is your fat. This is fat tissue. And adipose tissue is its own endocrine gland, meaning it can produce hormones. It can produce stuff. (laughs) How cool. Um, So we see in postmenopausal women that adipose tissue levels of estrogens exceed circulating concentration. Basically, your fat is making estrogen. This is why we can see visceral fat go up in menopause because if your estrogen is low, right? So it's going to be low in menopause because that's what, you know, that's what happens. But if your adrenals aren't there to kind of like buffer their production because you're, you know, very stressed out or you're burnt out, you might hang on to visceral fat. This is your body doing its best. This is your body throwing you a bone. This is your body trying to caretake for you. This is your body saying, oh geez, we don't have enough estrogen around. <laughs> I know what I can do. This is brilliant. I know what I can do. So it wants to sequester as much estrogen as, poss- as possible. That's how the body compensate. So as soon as the ovaries go off, the body says, We need another source of estrogen. I know exactly what to do. I know that fat tissue can produce estrogen. Well, let's go. We're gonna hold on to this fat tissue. So we're gonna get more into the specifics of what to do. You know, like I'm gonna give you all of the the whys and then we'll talk a little bit more about the hows. But this is a really big key concept that I want you to understand. This is why we're starting here. If you've noticed that you have body composition changes, I really want you to think about your relationship to stress? Do you feel stressed out? Do you feel burnt out? Do you feel like you have a ton on your plate? Are you adding things to your plate all of the time, but not taking things off? Do you know how to say no? Do you do you know when you've reached your limit? Are you aware of how to communicate uh, boundaries? All of the stuff that I talk about all of the time. What is your relationship to stress, and are could this stress be contributing to the overall picture? Okay, now we're going to talk about insulin because there is a pretty profound shift or there, there's potential for there to be profound shift in insulin signaling when you're going through perimenopause and postmenopause because estrogen and progesterone affect how our cells respond to insulin. After menopause, changes in your hormone levels can trigger fluctuations in your blood sugar levels. Okay? So... That's, that's another important key concept. Um, it can affect insulin, blood sugar regulation. It can also affect hunger and satiety hormones. Pretty much one thing like that happens is that you do become more insulin resistant after menopause. And this is because estrogen typically improves insulin sensitivity. So with estrogen deficiency we can see insulin resistance, we can see metabolic dysfunction, we can see blood sugar imbalance and this this all contributes to, you know, to the those metabolic changes after menopause. And this is why the prevalence of metabolic syndrome increases with menopause and metabolic syndrome increases the risk of heart disease, stroke, and type 2 diabetes. So it's a pretty big deal. Now, all of this that I'm talking about is um, you know, based on research in theory, right? But it's also what I see in practice. So we run a lot of labs. Um, my, my clinicians run a lot of labs and our clients. We see um, a lot of labs in your hormone revival. So these are the patterns that we see over and over and over again with our menopausal women imbalanced cortisol. So we can often see high metabolized cortisol, which indicates that the body could be holding onto weight, or we see that pattern when somebody's holding onto weight. We can see high nighttime cortisol, which also can can sometimes pair with low melatonin. So that's part of the sleep issue too, is that uh, cortisol is high when it's supposed to be low, and then melatonin is low when it's supposed to be high. And so this imbalance in Uh, hormones can really impact sleep in a negative way. We can see elevated CRP, which is an inflammatory marker. So with these changes, inflammation can go up. We can see high ferritin. We see that pretty commonly. Um, A ferritin is an acute phase reactant. So it, it, when there's an inflammatory process going on in the body, we can see ferritin elevated. We also very commonly see high hemoglobin A1c, high fasting glucose, elevated fasting insulin, super, super common. So that's telling us that yes, blood sugar is high and yes, insulin resistance is happening. And uh, we can even see um, some of these, you know, Surprisingly commonly, we see A1C and fasting glucose in the pre-diabetic range. So these are things that we're seeing often. Uh, So it's really something to, to pay attention to and to maybe get those labs drawn up if you're not sure of your status and where you stand. And we're going to quickly interrupt this discussion to shout out one of our show sponsors, Dry Farm Wines. One thing that I hear from clients often is I used to be able to drink wine and now I can no longer tolerate. And there's a reason for that. We talk a lot on the show about processed food, but wine can be extremely processed as well. There are 76 additives legally approved for use in winemaking. This can be dyes, thickeners, GMO yeast. And the top 20 wines sold in the U.S., the most popular ones, all contain high levels of sugar. So my answer to that problem is Dry Farm Wines. I've had a subscription for them uh, for years, and I absolutely love every single bottle they sell. They are organically, biodynamically grown, sugar-free, low alcohol, and they source wines from small family growers. So if you're like me and you enjoy the occasional glass of wine while you're cooking with your family, head to dryfarmwines.com forward slash funk. For functional nutrition podcast listeners, they're offering an extra bottle in your first box for a penny. You get free shipping and delivery straight to your door. So check them out and enjoy. With the state of the world over the past couple of years, so many of my clients and listeners have told me that their sleep has really been impacted. So I feel I'd be doing you a massive disservice if I didn't introduce you to our sponsor, Ned, because they have a solution for you. Ned's full spectrum hemp oil is extracted from USDA certified organic hemp plants. It's grown by an independent farmer and his family in Colorado. Now Ned's co-founder and I sat down and had a really lovely conversation about sourcing and farming practices and how they chose their farm. And this company is the real deal. I've been using these products for a while now with incredible results. So Ned's best selling sleep blend offers a natural solution for a good night's sleep. It contains CBN, which is a powerful cannabinoid that promotes sleep. It has seven 150 milligrams of CBD. And it also has uh, organic and wildcrafted botanicals. You all know that I love Nervine herbs. So it has oat straw, lemon balm, passion passionflower, skullcap. These are herbs that help to relax the body and promote sleep. If you need help unwinding at night, I highly recommend purchasing the Dream Set because it also contains Mellow, which is their awesome magnesium blend that features GABA and L-theanine. This is a non negotiable in my nighttime routine lately. If you'd like to conquer sleep with Ned's dream set, functional nutrition podcast listeners get 15% off with code FUNK. Go to helloned.com forward slash FUNK or enter code FUNK at checkout. That's H-E-L-L-O-N-E-D.com slash F-U-N-K to get 15% off. Thank you, Ned, for sponsoring the show and offering our listeners a natural remedy for some of life's most common health issues. So if you don't have the labs sitting in front of you, let's talk about some signs and symptoms that you might be dealing with insulin resistance and high blood sugars. So the way that I kind of think about it is that High blood, and this is a little oversimplified, but it helps to kind of it helps you to understand, I think, and it's usually pretty accurate. But high blood sugar is, or symptoms of high blood sugar is if you're feeling tired after eating or you're craving sweets or coffee after eating, whereas symptoms of low blood sugar is you feel more energized after eating. And these can often pair together. So sometimes you might feel one, sometimes you might feel the other that's pretty common but overall if if this is your overall pattern i'm going to read a list to you if you're like yeah that really sounds like me chances are you may be dealing with some high blood sugars and some insulin resistance so needing sweets or caffeine after meals or just feeling like you want to like crash out and take a nap after eating a big meal intense sugar cravings always feeling hungry feeling tired after eating if you have high triglycerides, if you get really hangry and irritable when you skip meals, if you've got fatigue, aches and pains. Now, obviously, fatigue, aches and pains can be a number of different things, so we we want to think about that in the overall context of this list. Um, inflammation. If your waist girth is larger than your hip girth. So if you tend to gain weight more around your midsection and if you have difficulty losing weight. So if you're checking off a lot of those boxes, it's a good sign that you really want to think about blood sugar as part of what is going on here with those body changes that you're experiencing, and um, I, I really want to keep today's show um, approachable, and so I'm not going to get into like high-level nitty-gritty stuff. However, if you've if you've like want to learn more about blood sugar and insulin resistance and all that, I've got plenty of podcast episodes where I've really done a deep dive on that. We also have a free metabolic training series that's available that you can grab on my website, thefunctionalnutritionist.com forward slash metabolic. It's a three-part video series, totally free. So if you do want to tuck into more, you can have at it. But a really... Overly simplified top-down view is that insulin is a storage hormone, so if insulin's high, it's telling the body to store its fuel essentially, and it can store it as fat. And so that's why insulin resistance can contribute to weight gain and to fat gain. Okay. So let's talk about what we can do about it, right? So that's some um, some brief background on what is happening physiologically. What can we do? And I always encourage everyone to start with lifestyle and diet because these are two huge needle movers when it comes to menopause. Stress is absolutely paramount for the reasons that I've discussed. We need to support the adrenals, you need to support your stress response. Uh, DHEA is an adrenal hormone, and I consider DHEA like a buffer to stress. And DHEA starts to fall with age. That's just kind of a natural aging progression. Um, But when we have low DHEA, we have less rebound when it comes to stress. We have less resiliency. We don't recover as well. So there is, we just have less capacity to manage stress on a physical body level as we age. And the, the more stress we have, like, the more it's going to work against a menopausal woman. And that's just facts, babe. And on top of that, we just know that high stress is not uh, congruent with weight loss goals. Stress impacts our hunger, our satiety. Stress impacts our fat cells. So if you're noticing body composition changes, if you've noticed weight gain, stress is just, it's not going to help you out. Next up, build muscle um lift heavy weights this is going to improve your insulin sensitivity constant cardio raises cortisol and i am not saying we shouldn't be doing cardio i am saying reevaluate your approach to movement because let's say you're somebody who is a runner right and you're like i'm running i'm, I'm eating the same foods i'm i'm running the same i'm doing everything the same but my body is changing yeah your body is changing. Your physiology is changing. And so if what you've been doing is not getting where you want to go, it might be time to change some things up. So you could consider adding more strength training into the mix, Um, putting on the muscle mass. Um, High intensity interval training is a great idea. I always recommend doing this to tolerance because with any intense training, you can push yourself beyond your own capacity and elicit a stress response, which is just going to kind of derail everything that we're talking about. But HIT training activates the AMPK pathway, which is the central pathway for managing blood sugar issues, managing insulin, creating a healthy metabolism. Um, it also determines whether we burn fat or store fat. Um, and so I definitely recommend if you can tolerate it, and meaning like you don't feel totally wiped out after uh, interval training workout, pepper that into the mix. Um, the thing that the, the issue that I take with intense training is that people are running around super duper stressed. They're under eating. They're under sleeping. They're over caffeinating. They're you know hitting their life to the absolute max, and then. They go into the gym and they try to do this. They take that same exact approach at the gym where they're trying to hit everything to the max. And so that is, I just, you know, I see a lot of hormones, hormone reports, and I just don't see that being supportive of overall health. So if you can pepper in interval training without overtaxing yourself, then consider it. Um, and I'm not going to go any further on that concept. I have a lot, a lot more to say. You can probably hear me. I'm holding myself back. So you got to be honest with yourself. You have to know your own limits and you have to like recognize the signs and the, the coming from your body as to whether or not you're pushing yourself too far. Um, something that you can do that is extremely beneficial is walking walking after meals reduces glucose, postprandial, which means after eating glucose. So if you know that you have elevated blood sugars, taking a stroll around the neighborhood after you eat a large meal, really, really, really great effective way to enhance glycemic control. And here's where people are like, well, it's not enough. You know, it's not enough. If I'm not killing it at the gym or at a fitness class for an hour a day, why even bother? And it's this type of mentality that really zaps us. It's, it, this is the one that gets us. Because it's if it's not 100%, then it's nothing. And I'm such an advocate for doing what you can do. Even just like those little bits of movement make a huge, huge impact, especially when it comes to exactly what we're talking about, right? Blood sugar control. Get more sleep. That is a biggie. Sleep is important for insulin, for weight, for stress, for recovery. Circadian rhythm has a massive effect on glucose metabolism and insulin sensitivity. Um, We know that sleep deprivation, not getting enough sleep, creates metabolic changes. Stress hormones go up. Glucose goes up. Insulin goes up. Hunger hormones go up. And I always love to share this little nugget because I think it really gets people thinking in a different way that there's a calorie equivalent associated with sleep deprivation, and it's between 385 to 549 calories a day. So these are based on small studies where the um, sleep-deprived group uh, slept one hour in 20 minutes less than the control group. So one hour in 20 minutes, it's not that much. In that, in that study, um, the sleep-deprived group averaged 549 additional calories. So just one hour and 20 minutes less. And then there was another study that showed sleep-deprived participants had a net energy gain of 380 or three, yeah, 385 calories a day. So, this is because of the hormonal shifts that are taking place when we're underslept. Again, stress hormones go up, glucose goes up, insulin goes up, hunger hormones go up. We're more hungry and we're less insulin sensitive, which is not a good thing. So, we have to get sleep. Now, if you're like, cool, I would love to, but I've got. Ha- flashes or I have a hard time sleeping, then go back to episode two, uh, 204 where I talk about sleep strategies because that could really help you out, get you some shut eye. Also minimize alcohol or just cut it out altogether. Alcohol is really uh, problematic for insomnia, for hot flashes. And you know if you're trying to lose weight, it's, it's not the best way to do it. So that would be another thing to think about is uh, to consider your alcohol intake. Now let's drill in uh, a little bit to food because, you know, if we're more insulin in menopause due to hormone shifts, then we have to be a little bit mindful of our intake and perhaps more mindful than we've had to be in the past. Like maybe you could get away with eating more refined carbohydrates and sugar in the past, but because of your physiology changes, because of your hormone shifts, you you can't do that anymore. So the big things to consider... You can increase your protein in your veggies, right? That's usually a safe bet, while simultaneously decreasing your sugar and your refined carbohydrates. Now, I will tell you this is a highly individualized process. Some people need to just you know, make a little tweak. Some people need to make a more significant tweak. And so this is the process that I outlined for you in the carb compatibility project. It's 4 weeks. I take you through the full process. So by the end of the 4 weeks, you will understand your unique carb threshold. You'll understand where you feel the best and really where you should net out in terms of blood sugar regulation. Um so I encourage you to sign up for that. We can also think about fibers. Fibers is a biggie. So fibers help to fibers that we consume feed the good bacteria in our gut, and those bacteria then go on to produce things like short-chain fatty acids. And short-chain fatty acids are key regulators of blood sugar regulation. And so if we can increase our fiber intake or even use fiber supplements, um, we can really help our gut bacteria Support our overall metabolic health. But using, leveraging fiber supplements also has an added benefit and a different use because if you consume them in a strategic way with your meals, uh, that can really help with the glycemic response of your uh, of your food, which is huge. I just feel like fiber, when it comes to high blood sugars and insulin resistance, fiber is a really underutilized tool. So that's why we cover this in a module in the carb compatibility project is like how to utilize fibers as a way to support your overall metabolic health. And we're hitting it from a couple different angles. And then, of course, we have to talk about the gut. We need to optimize gut health. The gut microbiome is essential for insulin signaling and blood sugar control. So this is a huge part of the carb compatibility project. Pretty much every single thing I do, we bake gut health into it because it's that important. And with the CCP, you also get free access to my What the Gut workshop bonus, which is all about gut health from top to tail. And we discuss in the program exactly how to feed the good bugs while pruning out the less optimal ones. So, gut health is really a biggie when it comes to your metabolic health and your hormones, quite frankly. And then finally, and this kind of feeds into gut health, but finally, we need to talk about the gallbladder because the third most common. GI issue with women, especially women over 40, is gallbladder issues. So if you are female and you're over the age of 40, you should be suspicious of gallbladder health. If you're overweight, that adds to the likelihood of it, okay? So gallbladder, we have bile, bile acids, and these things are made in the liver. And the gallbladder stores them, stores up the bile, and then it releases bile in response to dietary fat. Because one of the jobs of bile is to emulsify fat. It's to break it down so we can absorb it for the body. So there can be a breakdown of that system because some people are like, well, I've had my gallbladder removed because gallbladder removal is very common. um, So I don't have any issues with my gallbladder, but you actually can. Even if you've had your gallbladder removed, what happens is that the cystic duct takes over. It becomes the new gallbladder. So bile flows into the intestine instead of collecting in the gallbladder. So it's kind of, I I always refer to it as like a, it's like a garden hose that you, you know, like when you turn off the hose, but you didn't turn it off all the way. So it's like drip, 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 drip. That's kind of the deal. So bile is like kind of constantly dripped out into the intestines. So you're eating dietary fat and you're getting this like drip, 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 this slow trickle of bile. When in reality, it should be more like a gush. So if you like squeeze the hose, you put a kink in the hose and you squeeze it and then you open it up and it all comes rushing out. That's really what it should be more like in response. So you eat fat, your body senses it, and then it like squirts out a bunch of bile to properly emulsify that. So if it's just this like little drip, 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 it's not concentrated enough to break down fat. And so that's where we can still see issues kind of like you know, using air quotes, gallbladder issues, even though you no longer have a gallbladder. It's really more about effective um, bile synthesis and bile release. So you might be like, okay, how did we get from menopause to talking about squirting bile? Like, what, what happened? Did I miss something? Did I black out? What, what's going on? There is a link, I promise. And it has everything to do with insulin because insulin promotes gallstone formation. So as estrogen levels drop, as we discussed, insulin can increase. And so with this one-two punch, we can see gallbladder problems increase. So are you starting to understand why? It's like, oh, okay. I'm starting to get why maybe gallbladder stuff is so common in women over 40 when these shifts are starting to take place. It's, does it kind of make sense now? Might be, I know it was a little bit all over the map, but hopefully this is tying it together a little bit. So there is a hormone connection here. The human gallbladder, I think this is fascinating, contains estrogen and progesterone receptors. And so the presence of these receptors might explain the sensitivity of gallbladder tissue to these hormones. So taking medications that contain estrogen, so this would be oral comp- contraceptives like birth control or um, hormone therapy drugs like hormone replacement, which a lot of women will go on after menopause, is actually a risk factor for gallbladder disease. Um, and this, is, this applies to estrogens, but also some evidence suggests that progestins as well. So estrogen will increase cholesterol secretion into the gallbladder and decreases bile salt secretion. So we're, we're we're uh, secreting less bile, which we need, and then progestins decrease bile salt secretion and decrease gallbladder emptying. So both of those two things, and progestin is different than progesterone. Progesterone is the hormone our body makes. Progestin is a synthetic progesterone, which is found in different hormone therapies. And so if you're on a medication like this or you have been in the past, then that can increase your risk of uh, gallbladder and or bile issues. So let's talk about some symptoms because maybe you're like, I've never heard of any of this before. This is like news to me. A lot of people aren't just like sitting around thinking about their gallbladder and their bile, right? I mean, I think that's fair. So (laughs) let me talk about some symptoms uh, uh, that you could have some bile issues. And so what happens is bile really should be like free flowing and like running and we can like just like it's like easy access and we can just squirt it out at any any time. And what happens is that bile can get start to get like kind of thick and sludgy. And this is before it gets to the point of gallstones. Um because it can it can form gallstones. But before it even gets to that point, it's called sludge. And it's just like it's exactly what it sounds like. It's like it's like thick, not free flowing bile. And so symptoms that you're dealing with this um, bloating and distension. So like just eating and feeling distended, your belly is, you know, it's just bloated. It's, it's distended. I'm just saying the same words over and over. (laughs) You know what that means though, right? You get it. Okay. It's kind of like some people are like, I feel pregnant or I look pregnant. Um, burping and bloating after eating fatty meals. So just an inability to break down fat or just like I can't digest fats well because remember one of bile's main jobs is to help us break down fat. Uh burping after fish oils is a is a real tip off if you have upper back and abdominal pain um If you've got just kind of ongoing digestive issues, because there's a lot of fat and a lot of the things that we eat. If your stool, we're going to talk about poop for a second, so you're going to have to look in the toilet for this one. But if your stool is clay colored, if you've got floating stool, or if you have greasy, shiny stools, so you look in the toilet and there's like, you can see grease, almost like an oil slick. Any of those could be an indication that you're not breaking down your fat properly. If you've got red skin, especially on your palms, dry or flaky skin, itchy skin, and this is a byproduct of not absorbing your fats or not being able to like access your dietary fat. The skin gets dry. And then if you've got low vitamin D, despite the fact that you're, you're, you're uh, taking a supplement, you, you're still, you can't get those vitamin, D, um, those vitamin D stores up. That could be an indication that there are some bile issues going on. And why it's a big deal, it, well, one, we need fat, right? We need fat for health. We need to be able to absorb the fat that we're eating. But bile doesn't just break down fat; it helps to modulate the immune system. It has uh, they can it has neurological function, vascular function. Bile salts impact receptor sites throughout the entire gut that help to modulate your metabolism, including blood sugar regulation. And they they really act as signaling agents that kind of speak to and modulate. The, like the entire gut. So this is why gallbladder issues and bile issues have such far-reaching implications on you know the rest of the body, on GI function and beyond. So if we don't have enough bile, if we're not producing enough bile, we can see microbiome imbalance. Um, we can see more inflammation in the gut and in in the uh, intestine we can see leaky gut we can see biotransformation issues so this is like how we have the ability to clear toxins and hormones out of our body we need efficient bile flow as a way to to do this it's a huge part of our detoxification process so bile total unsung hero totally I've been I've been referring to bile as an unsung hero for years it's just we just don't talk about it enough we don't support it enough we don't think about it enough so because it's such a big deal we're going to get into that way more in, in an upcoming episode probably next week so stay tuned for that um but for now you've got a lot to work on you know hopefully i gave you enough things to to tuck, you know tuck into and sink your teeth into if you are somebody that does a little bit better with accountability and a clear path and a clear plan, then consider joining the Carb Compatibility Project because I get a lot more into the hows of all of this. I presented a lot of um, information here, but then we can really drill into like, okay, now, like what are the action steps that you need to make right now to start to support your overall metabolic health. Um, because the, the truth of the matter is the longer this stuff goes, the harder it is to unpack. If you can catch high blood sugar, like when it first starts happening or high insulin levels, when it first starts happening, then, um, we can really set you up for success later on down the road. So that is my hope and my intention with the carb compatibility project. So I look forward to, um, working with you in June and I'll catch you next week thanks for joining me for this episode of the functional nutrition podcast if you got something from today's show don't forget to subscribe leave a review share with a friend and keep coming back for more take care of you